This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich. I'm here again this week with a second bonus episode of Oscar Predictions. We're here with Mike Hogan. Hi, Katie. With Richard Lawson. Hello. And with Joanna Robinson. Hi, Katie. So as you said, this is the second part of our uh, week of Oscar predictions. We're going to kick things off with more of the technical categories and wind up getting into some of the acting categories as well as, drumroll please, Best Picture. Uh, but we're going to start with sound mixing and sound editing, which are perennially the most confusing categories for me. Joanna, it feels like you're going to be able to come in here and set us straight once and for all. What is the difference between the two? As far as I can tell. <laughs> That's a great start to an explainer. <laughs> <laughs> sound editing is something that is a little bit more has to do with what is done on the set or around making the initial sounds for the film and sound mixing is how you put it all together to make sure that uh, you hear dialogue when you're supposed to hear dialogue and gunfire, strafing gunfire on a beach, spoiler alert for my pick, uh, when you're supposed to hear gunfire on a beach. So I think there's a considerable overlap here but you've got like things like your your foley artists you know who make like the various sounds that's in sound editing um and then yeah sound mixing i think has a lot more to do with balance as you would expect i just have to like look this up every single year so i wish they would just rename it because editing sounds like mixing sound effects why don't they just call it best yeah sound effects or sound creating noises best noises best noises (laughs) best noises best noise maker best noises uh, so, Joanna, given that, uh, now that you fully understand the difference between sure. the two, are you mentioned gunfire on a beach. What are you oh, going with? Oh, it's got to be Dunkirk, right? Come on. For both? Uh, for both, yeah. I mean, I, like, is there a history of different films getting these two different categories? I feel like it's usually the same film, right? It has been known to happen. Last year, Arrival won in sound editing and Hacksaw Ridge won oh, in God. mixing. Okay, mm-hmm. Uh, and Hacksaw Ridge went at beating La La Land which was kind of a surprise because uh, sound mixing is the category where musicals can win a good bit Les Mis won in that Slumdog Millionaire won kind of for the way that they're balancing like live sung on stage dialogue with the music you know just the idea of like being able to hear the singer over the music Um, but yeah so war films are not a bad bet in any given year when one when one guy is recording all the bullet sounds in seventy millimeter, it's very hard to beat. It gives him a real edge. <laughs> <laughs> I wound up splitting. I went with Dunkirk for sound editing because that's one of the you know the creation of the effects, like you're saying, the gunfire. And then I went with Baby Driver for sound mixing. Uh, I think I said in the last episode that it feels like kind of a spoiler in the tech categories and the way that it's balancing the music with the uh, sound effects with the dialogue. There's a lot going on in that movie, and I, I don't know. It feels like it could sneak in there. I agree that if anything was going to spoil this it would be baby driver um i just think that this is where they're going to be like sorry chris you made an amazing film that's probably an all-time classic so we'll give you these some technical awards there (laughs) 
But seriously, did he do it all analog? Like, did, was was it similar to the filming where he did, or, or is it just like normal digital? That's thing? a great question. I mean, yeah. yeah, I'll have to I'll have to see what I can find. I mean, it's impressive sounding, regardless. Although. You can't hear Tom Hardy, which is a consistent problem in Christopher Nolan movies, which is part of the sound mixing. It's one of the things that consistently annoys me about his movies. But I don't know what the professionals would say about that. Yeah, the sound mixing in Dunkirk is deliberately, I feel like, kind of like drowns out dialogue and stuff like that. It was just kind of an arty choice. So I don't know. Maybe. You know, four of these involve some kind of action on a beach, by the way, these movies. Baby Driver's the only one that doesn't. If you want to learn more about this, Variety does have a piece on how Nolan captured the sounds of the battle. I'll just read the lead, which says movie audiences assume that the sounds on the screen were recorded during filming and that maybe a second person added big effects like explosions. In truth, that's both the misperception and the goal. So anyway, that's a teaser for this piece over on Variety if you want to read about it. So Mike and Richard, what are you guys going with? Um, I am going to go with sound editing, Dunkirk, and sound mixing, Dunkirk. Yeah, I, I, I'm the same, but I like your baby driver thing. I'm going to think about that, sleep on that one. I, I like the baby driver idea. Yeah, I'm not even sure if that's going with my heart. It's just kind of, you know, hoping for a little bit of intrigue in these uh, early categories announced in the night. Dunkirk also has, like, am I misremembering? Doesn't it have, oh, that's in the score, isn't it? They're like ticking sounds like you hear yeah, yes yeah i think that's, that's the score, score which we'll uh which we'll get to shortly <laughs> but first up is original song where uh richard i believe you wrote and performed this is me from the greatest showman right yeah that's right so i'm gonna go out the show i gotta get fitted for a tux it's really exciting <laughs> it's a sparkly tux right yeah. with a big top hat yeah no i didn't pasek and paul did and they won an oscar last year and so i feel like for writing um city of stars from la la land and i feel like does that disqualify them, or would they get would they win two years in a row, or is that? Yes, I think they're going to win, and and only partly because I sat with Keila Settle at the Golden Globes, right. and I'm now we are Instagram friends and oh. practically just pals. <laughs> right. Right. Your besties. <laughs> but I also did read a persuasive article that said, like, don't kid yourself. This is the only song that is actually like a big hit that a lot of people know. Yeah, it's made. It's definitely made an impact. Like it, people have listened to it. I can't believe it took me this long. But like recently, I fell down a rabbit hole on on YouTube of like people doing covers of Greatest Showman songs. Oh, wow! And there are so many. And that movie's made three hundred million dollars worldwide. Like it's a huge thing. Yeah. So I think you're right that like that. I just like if they win, you'll hear a loud scream coming from Brooklyn, and that's me <laughs> throwing something at my television. <laughs> but not that I don't like the song. I just like think that they are a little bit overrated. But. We'll do it for Keela. Root for Keela. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I'm rooting for Sushant Stevens for The Mystery of Love, mostly because I want to hear the phrase Academy Award winner Sushant Stevens. Also, like, not just because I do like him, I do like that song, but also I think it will, like, really explode his indie outsider cred if he's, like, embraced by the mainstream to that as in, degree. As in destroy it? Yeah. You're doing this out of malevolence. No, it's just Stevens. sort of like, it'll complicate his narrative, which I like, so... Okay. All right. I'm just having a hard time imagining Sofiane Stevens standing on a stage in a tux, like speaking. (laughs) I've seen him in concert several times, but it just seems very daring. And and Joanna, you're right. The um, Christian, maybe gay indie singer needs more complication to his narrative. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. All right. Does anybody think Mary J could win this? 
I feel like just Mudbound is so like, I mean, she's obviously like a big figure. She's nominated for Best Supporting Actress, but it feels like the the competition is so big in the songs and Mudbound is such kind of a minor presence. I actually went up going with Remember Me from Coco, which is also written by the recent winners, Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez. Uh, and it's a really cute song from a cute movie that a lot of people love. Um, it's not a big hit the way that This Is Me is, but I was kind of looking at recent years, like, you know, last year you have the Justin Timberlake's Troll song, which was obviously a huge radio hit that lost to La La Land. Like, popularity doesn't necessarily equal win, and I just like the Coco song better. I have to say that's going to be a fun performance because I saw them do it live at D23. Like, Benjamin Bratt was up there, and they had all these, like, Oaxacan dancers out in the audience, and they were like... Oh, they did, like, the big fancy version of yeah, it? Yeah, and, the, and uh, like, like, sad guitar one? No, yeah, and, like, they were just, like, brightly like, colored dancer and then like uh marigolds were falling from the ceiling so it was just like an am- wow. it's, it was like this, i don't think that the dolby will let them drop marigolds from the ceiling but it's gonna be like one of those um like the the lego movie uh performance it's gonna be like one of those crowd-pleasing things obviously that will have no impact on voting the votes will already be in but uh it'll be a good show and then Sufjan Stevens will be replaced just by a fireplace burning <laughs> on the stage <laughs> and timothy just stares at him for- <laughs> By the way, we should probably point out that I think Remember Me is the Gold Derby favorite for whatever that may be worth. So I'm, mm. I'm going a little out on a limb here with This Is Me. But again, it's really just doing it for Keela. The stealth success of Greatest Showman, I definitely think, is something not to sleep on. And that'll be a really fun performance, too. I mm-hmm. hope they bring out like the whole cast. But how fun that like the performers are going to be like Sophia Stevens, Benjamin Bratt, and uh, <laughs> Mary, Mary J. Blige. Blige. <laughs> And yeah, I hope Diane Warren just makes her way up there uh, somehow. Let's do best original score. Unfortunately, there was not an original song for Dunkirk as, you know, they had Harry Styles right there and, and missed that opportunity. But you do have Dunkirk and score uh, with Hans Zimmer along with Phantom Thread, Shape of Water, Star Wars, Last Jedi, and Three Billboards. There's a lot of just heavy hitters there. Like it's uh, just, I think maybe everyone but Johnny Greenwood has been nominated before. I went with The Shape of Water on the power of Alexander Desplat and that movie. What are you guys thinking? I'm sure you're right, but the Phantom Thread, a movie that I did not love, has by far the best music of any movie I saw this year. I mean, yeah. it's just like it's just not even a question. So I'm rooting. I'm, I'm yeah. putting that down. That's the critic's choice, certainly. I would think. Yeah. I just feel like Desplat is kind of ascendant. He's only won once, which I find very surprising oh, okay, for yeah. how ubiquitous he is. So it's not like he's over rewarded at this point. Though you can argue of whether or not this is one of his best scores. Joanna's heart is also voting for Johnny Greenwood. So, Richard, what did you say you, that you were picking? Uh, Shape of Water. I think that I think that Greenwood, while respected, certainly, and it's cool when like Trent Reznor, like somebody goes from rock musician to film composer. I just think that maybe that music is still a little too alienating for people, even though it's much more accessible than like his stuff in The Master or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he spent so long just trying to get nominated, like, and I think he like kept getting uh, disqualified for using existing music, which is a, a weird thing about this category. But yeah, it would be cool to see him win. Um, okay, so we're going to get into the animated documentary and foreign language film features, which are a tricky category for me personally, since I usually have a hard time catching up with all of these. Um, but that won't stop me from making predictions. So let's start with foreign language film, which is a really interesting lineup, because I think the the kind of the runaway favorite that I expected to be in their BPM, which Richard, I think was your favorite movie of the year, um, didn't get nominated. Um, so we have The Fantastic Woman, The Insult, Loveless, On Body and Soul, and The Square. I'm really at a loss. I need you guys to tell me what to predict. I, I'm pretty sure it's between a fantastic woman and the square uh loveless okay. is an right. unbelievably dark russian film about people who are straight up awful 
and I don't think that's that Oscar friendly. The insult is quite interesting, but maybe a little bit simplistic a Lebanese film. And the Unbody and Soul is is fine, but I think that the Square is super super interesting Swedish film about a guy yeah. who's like a cu- chief curator at a big museum, yeah. and basically it's a series of among other things, it's a series of set pieces, kind of exploring like the bystander effect. And and and, and the filmmaker talked. Uh, to Emma Stefanski on our team for our uh, special awards issue because it seems kind of misanthropic in some ways that, that one after another you have these set pieces where people are in a situation they don't know what to do they could help somebody and they don't basically yeah. and he said which is interesting he's like we blame people but ultimately like we're herd animals and we're scared so that's what the film is about it's dark but really really interesting very funny at times has Elizabeth Moss in it so a little star power um, and it's very very I think really strong maybe a little problematic in certain ways but I think the fantastic woman has has something very special special which is even if it's not a perfectly constructed film it puts a a a a empathetic gaze on a trans uh woman and follows her through an incredibly excruciating ordeal and i think it's transformative it was transformative for me in a way i I, to be perfectly honest in in how i saw this character at the beginning i was just i wasn't sure what to think and by the end i felt so much uh i had just felt so much for her and couldn't understand why the world was you know messing with her and and i think that a lot of people have that experience and and also want to celebrate that that's my take yeah and it and it's also it's a it's a trans actress playing her danielle vega and she's presenting at the oscars this year they just announced um you know so the square has the fact that it won the palm door it can but that never really translates to wins it at the oscars or, or it rarely does i think that fantastic woman you know if we're speaking about like movies that speak to the moment and you know feel very relevant to uh you know and 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 will represent some kind of triumph for the academy for the film i think that like fantastic woman is right there for you and it has the added benefit of being really well made so yeah it is it is yeah, I went with a fantastic woman mostly on the star power of Danielle Vega and the fact that she's presenting at the Oscars. That seems like a, a proof of its visibility above all. Although the, the, since the square won the Palme d'Or, it feels like I can't tell how much of a benefit that gives that movie. I just don't think that there, the conversion rate is actually that high from, from, mm. Cannes, from Cannes to the Academy, but I don't have it in front of me, but if memory serves me, it's, it's not necessarily really a predictor of, of Oscars if it wins at Cannes. Joanna, what are you going with? Uh, yeah. Una mujer fantástica. Absolutely. Aha! Trotting out your fancy foreign languages in this foreign language category. <laughs> if if not here, where? I do think the square could win, and I hope that if it does win, people... I mean, you know, it will be... It's something of a setback, but I hope people don't, like, overinterpret it as, no. like, that the world is horrible, because it's a very, very good film. But yeah. uh, but I think it would be really nice to see a fantastic woman. It would be it would be meaningful in a way that another award might not be. Well, speaking of breakout stars in these categories, um, in the documentary feature, I feel like the most visible film by far has been Faces Places, mostly because of uh, Agnes Farda and her co-filmmaker JR and the cardboard Agnes Farda that went to the Academy Luncheon. Uh, they're up against Abacus, Small Enough to Jail, Icarus, Last Man in Aleppo, and Strong Island. I feel like Faces Places has the buzz advantage to win. Uh, do you guys give it that much credit? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that that it's, you know, we've talked about this a lot on this podcast, but because the past has sort of supported this theory that things about filmmaking tend to go over very well with the academy and faces places mm-hmm. is very much about filmmaking it's very well it's about art in general but like you know agnes varda is a you know been a director for decades and there's a whole plot in the doc- documentary about her um and jean-luc godard and so i just feel like that's it's it's kind of jean-luc godard for- 
that rat. I think she calls yeah. him that I rat. Think she does. Yeah, she's and she's wonderful. I don't think she'll be able to come to the show, but like. You know, she's a legend in France and, and beyond. And so I just feel like this is that movie's year. It's also like, it's such a feel good movie. Like, um, I hate that phrase, but, um, if you follow me on Twitter, you've seen me like banging on endlessly about the new Queer Eye on Netflix and w- mostly because it's just about like people going into communities where maybe historically they wouldn't be welcomed and being welcomed and, and connecting. And that's what, um, Faces Place is about is like these two artists are going and talking to like factory workers and like, whoever else and just really having this connection the working people of france is really embracing this artistic expression of their lives and their works and i just i think it's really um incredibly affecting and it's a it's a another sort of career award and it's the oldest oscar nominee mm-hmm. ever so they they have that it's easy to kind of check a box here apart from the quality of the film itself Christopher Plummer, who we'll talk about later, and Agnes Varda are both the oldest nominees ever. Like, they have both set records by being nominated the same year, uh, which is pretty exciting. Okay, let's do animated feature, where we've got The Boss Baby, The Breadwinner, Coco, Ferdinand, and Loving Vincent. Coco's just going to win this, right? Yeah. Yes. Right? Yeah, it's Coco. Cut and print. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Like, there's been this weird resurgence. I mean, maybe I'm just, like, really too deep on, like, film Twitter or whatever. Like, just, like, this, like, actually Boss Baby is good thing. I watched Boss, Boss Baby and I didn't think it was bad. The animation was way more interesting than I was expecting. I, I read one article when it was coming out about this long thing by Darren Freenish, EW, who's a brilliant writer, about how it was basically just, like, this emblem of, like, capitalist moral rot in America. So, like, I, my, my opinion <laughs> of the movie was, was swayed early on. So, I don't know. I haven't seen it, to be honest. So, But, yeah, I think Coco. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs. Wondry's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segeith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. 
So now we're going to get into some of the big ones and we'll jump right into the screenplay categories. I wanted to start with adapted screenplay because uh, as a, that seems like the much simpler one to predict. You've got Call Me By Your Name, The Disaster Artist, Logan, Molly's Game, and Mudbound. And I think as we talked about earlier, the reason that is kind of a surprising list is because it was basically Call Me By Your Name and then no one really knew it was going to get nominated. And you've got James Ivory, who, like Agnes Varda, is a legend who is getting very old. And I think he's going to win his Oscar for Call Me By Your Name. Yep. Does James Ivory not have an Oscar? No, he doesn't. He doesn't? No? Wow. All right. Let's get James Ivory that Oscar. Yeah, call me by name. Come on. It's gotta be. It's gotta be that. You know, my, my Sufjan Stevens, uh, wishes aside, I think this is gonna be like the award for call me by your name, right? To like honor the whole movie. Well, that Michael Stolbark speech alone. I mean, we talk about the performance, but also like the content of the speech. It's, it is a beautifully constructed film. And 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 does seem to stand way out in this in this particular group. Remember when the disaster artist was like potentially going to win awards? Oh, Whew, yeah, I, I think it was, I feel like it was definitely in a lot of people's like tenth and eleventh spot for best picture, and um, you know it, it got its nomination. And then you have Logan, Joanna, your beloved Logan, uh, made it in there. But that uh, that like many of these feels like the nomination is the reward there. Absolutely, I was like be uh, like over the moon that Logan got nominated, but even Joanna's heart is not voting for Logan in this category. <laughs> Okay, so let's move on to Adapted, which is truly the most crowded, I think, of all of them. You've got The Big Sick, Get Out, Lady Bird, The Shape of Water, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And yes, that is four Best Picture nominees up against The Big Sick, which is so charming and small. And I think I keep saying in another year might be able to win here. Um, but I don't know. This, this like Best Picture has proven really difficult to predict. Does anyone feel confident about what's going to win here? Yeah, it's going to be Three Billboards, I think. Mm. I just think he's won a lot of things. And people like that movie they like him you know there is there are some people who see that movie as speaking to the moment with you know women fighting back against bad systems uh yeah so i and i feel like if we're talking about movies where like screenplay categories are their best chance of winning like call me by your name i feel like i mean obviously francis mcdormand is going to win something but like and sam rockwell oh god that's right so like maybe I don't know I think I still think it's going to be three billboards. I think get out. Be- I just I think get out because I just think it's too. I think there is enough of a like question about whether this movie you know speaks correctly to the time or not that that it's going to hurt its chances. I could be wrong, obviously. There's questions about three billboards. Yeah. Whereas you mm-hmm. think get out. There's no question about it. Yeah. I mean. Um, uh- Mike may disagree with me uh, when we get to our final category in this episode, but I think this is another case of like, this is the award for Get Out. Like, that's what I think. It, it could be. But I, I think that and look, Get Out has its own set of challenges. All these films have their own set of challenges. And Get Out is it's a genre that doesn't usually win. And I do think people feel that it it's it's not the most tightly constructed third act in the history of cinema. Um, and, you know, and but but still. I think that there's enthusiasm around Get Out and there's there's sort of like anxiety around Three Billboards, but I, I could be really wrong. I mean, I, you know, I suppose we shouldn't look at screenplay the same, the screenplay category the same way we look at original song. But like, if it's like, not the catchiest script, but the script that's made the most impact on our culture, like the way in which people use phrases like the sunken place, or like, I don't know if you saw the, the meme that was going around after Black Panther of like, Bradley Whitford being like, I would have seen Black Panther three times opening weekend if I could have, you know, like, there, there is like phraseology from Get Out that has just already seeped into our culture. And that's like, that's why I think it deserves it in addition to like all the other political reasons around it. Richard may be right. Uh, the I mean McDonough is 
first and foremost, in my mind, a writer. So it like seems odd to me that McDonough wouldn't, you know, and, and usually his scripts are so incredible, um, you know, in as far as use of language and stuff like that. I just three billboards just, we you know, didn't didn't work for me. But um, well, and yeah, I've, and when Nicole Sperling talked to Academy members about the film, they were like, hey, we're not blaming Francis McDormand or Sam Rockwell for the script. Like the issue is the script. And, and, and the issue with the script is that he is a pyrotechnician of screenwriting, but in, in that he seems to have gotten a little too carried away and missed some of the human elements of a film. That's really essentially, I think, like the fair criticism of what happened here. And that's all in the script. So, so I think that given that when Nicole was calling around to Academy members, they were co- conscious of this whole thing. Um, that's, that's why I think that ultimately it, it would be weird if they then went and said, this is our favorite screen. This is our like historic go down in history screenplay of the year, but maybe they will. Guys, Richard literally persuaded me to cross out, get out on my ballot and go with three billboards. Um, just because I think the preferential ballot has convinced me that three billboards is going to really be dinged in best picture, but that doesn't exist in the screenplay category. And I think Mike, you're totally right that there's a lot of Academy members who are, are aware of the problem in the script, but there's a lot of love for this movie as proven by Francis McDormand and Sam Rockwell winning. And I think without a preferential ballot and uh, a screenplay to kind of shake it out, I think it's just going to get the most votes. And especially because, you know, you can imagine people who love get out also loving Lady Bird or the big sick and those you know they're not being like a strong one to put yourself behind in there yeah i'm gonna go with three billboards i also think in a broader sense like that we shouldn't forget you know because we we're we're steeped in a certain kind of conversation that a lot of academy members aren't i mean this is the academy that nominated mel gibson last year like that they they are not quite as aware of these things and i think that like three billboards winning so much stuff already this season like indicates to me that people are maybe not really hearing what some critics are saying about the movie or they don't care you know so i don't I, i think that like nicole i'm sure those those people that she spoke to you know responded in good faith but they were also directly asked a question about it and i think a lot of people aren't being asked that question and aren't asking themselves that question yeah that's that's fair and maybe it's all just preferential balloting but i just feel like this is an academy three years ago or even last year it would have been obvious to me that that this would win best screenplay because you know you think of older white male voters and this movie doesn't raise any flags for them uh just like it didn't raise any flags for me to be perfectly honest when i first saw it it was only later hearing from people who were like hey this bothers me that you that you that you become conscious of this but this is also the academy that gave it to moonlight best picture to moonlight over la la land so we'll see it'll be interesting kind of this will be a very interesting award um to see like what is the constitution of this academy. It, it all of a sudden feels like the most political award in the in the whole thing yeah you know mm-hmm. in a weird way yeah yeah i mean if get out wins the screenplay prize i think that would be a really interesting uh indicator of how the rest of the night's gonna go Let's keep talking about Three Billboards and get into Supporting Actor, where you've got two actors from Three Billboards, Woody Harrelson and Sam Rockwell. They're up against Richard Jenkins and Willem Dafoe and Christopher Plummer of All the Money in the World, the most surprising acting nomination I can think of in a long time. Sam Rockwell has sewn this up over the last couple months, even though we kept saying Willem Dafoe had it all locked up. I don't think anything's going to change. I think it's Sam Rockwell. Um, Joanna, I know you love Sam Rockwell and don't love him in this movie. Are you coping with your feelings? I love Sam Rockwell. I do not love him in this movie. <laughs> um, but my, I'm going to go with Willem Dafoe. 
Ah, listen, I won't be mad if Sam Rockwell wins because, you know, when you talk about career awards, when you guys were talking about Gary Oldman, like last week, I, or last episode, I, I like the same is true with Sam Rockwell. I can just flash to a hundred different brilliant performances from Sam Rockwell that I've seen and, and not get upset about him winning this award, but same is true for Willem Dafoe. And I loved him in the Florida project. So yeah, my, I, you know, get ready for me to be wrong, like the next three categories in a row, but I am, I'm going for Willem Dafoe. I think that I I love Sam Rockwell. I don't think the I don't think I've been a fan of him as long as you have. And I think he's good in this movie. Like for the problems that I have with Three Billboards, I think his performance really does a lot for that character that maybe the script doesn't. Um, so kind of kind of like Gary Oldman, it feels like it feels like a performance that's hard to argue with. Even though I have well, my favorite was Michael Stuhlbarg. He didn't even get nominated, but uh, I wouldn't give it to him. But I can't be too mad about it. Richard and Mike, where are you landing? Um, I'm going to predict uh, Michael Stuhlbarg wins because I think, my, I think my write-in campaign, uh, you know, he's not nominated, but you know, I think I've convinced enough people that it's going to happen. Um, but if, if for some reason that doesn't work out, yeah, I think that I think there is a potential for a Mark Rylance beating Stallone surprise hmm. here. But I, I just don't think that everything I know about Stallone standing in the industry is, is not I don't think that like Sam Rockwell has any issues in that, in that regard. So like, I think he'll he'll probably well, yeah. everybody loves Sam Rockwell, right? Yeah. I mean, he's just like yeah. the nicest guy in show business. Uh, apparently, I don't know him or, or haven't met him, but that's what people say. And I also think at some level, th- this is going to depart from woke orthodoxy. But but I think that what Hollywood sees in this performance and even in this film, uh, white Hollywood maybe, is that in order for us to fix this total screw up of our society, we're going to have to find a way to forgive and redeem and work with people who disagree with us, like fundamentally on things and may appall us. And when we find like revolting. And so to the extent that the performance and the role is a hopeful signal that like, Hey, you know, people can be really bad, but they can also, they also have the potential for good. That's there's there is a kind of a hopeful, optimistic aspect of life there, even if I again, I do uh, think that the critique is valid of of how the film handles it. So so I I think for all those reasons, like he will he will get it. And Willem Dafoe's incredibly subtle, beautiful, haunting performance will be uh, a nominee um, and a wonderful nominee. Okay, let's do Best Actress, where, again, we've got three billboards running through the precursors. That's Frances McDormand. We've also got Sally Hawkins, Margot Robbie, Saoirse Ronan, and Meryl Streep. Again, I I have a hard time arguing with a Frances McDormand win or with her performance in this movie as many problems as I have with it. I guess I'm like all the other Academy voters who don't want to blame them for the movie. Uh, I wouldn't vote for her, but I do think she's going to win, and I'm, I'm looking forward to her speech. Uh, yeah, I hope I hope she talks about <laughs> representation in Hollywood again. Wait, what did she say about representation? Oh, say- about how she was talking about her agents. Yeah, she was like, representation matters, long pause, and then start talking about her agents. <laughs> <laughs> was she jo- was that was she kidding? I mean, if she was, it was entirely deadpan. It looked like not a joke. I mean, uh, Frances McDormand is a wonderful, smart woman who is politically engaged. Like, I'm not accusing her of being out of touch. It was just a hilarious coincidence of phrasing that just seemed odd. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I never thought I would say this. I'm kind of sick of it. I'm kind of st- sick of her stick. Um, but uh, I think she'll win. I wish th- I, there was a point. Am I crazy? Where it looked like maybe Saoirse was going to surge ahead. I mean, she was always in Saoirse's there. Saoirse's my my pick. Uh, Saoirse surge. I'm pro Saoirse surge. <laughs> I'm team Saoirse. Yeah, but no, I think that like 
all signs point to McDormand. And look, you know, it's been 21 years since she won. Um, so it's been a long time. And, and she's, she, you know, say what you will about the movie, but she is good in it, you know, and, and, and she's a, one of the best actresses. So I feel like uh, it's not undeserving. I'm curious how often there have been that long of a gap between best actress wins, just because actresses, as we know, tend to have much shorter careers than men. Um, so there is something, I, I don't know if she's breaking a record and Catherine Hepburn probably did it, but uh, it's encouraging to see that she gets to, you know, step up to the plate like this again. And again, like coming back to the sort of the topical side of it for to whatever extent that is relevant, you know, now the grieving mother is is newly relevant. After oh, God. Yeah. And all that. Cool. Stuff. Um, so I think that uh, yeah, I think she's going to win. I think it's a great performance. It, it is great to see two wins for an actress t- 21 years apart uh, for somebody other than Meryl Streep. So I think, I, uh, you know, I'm not going to be mad. At Remember it. when we thought Meryl Streep might win? Like when we all first saw the post and I mean, she's, she's great in it. It's hard to argue with it. (laughs) You, you New York elites did. Those of us out here on the coast. (laughs) The media nostalgists among us. Yeah, but I'm planting my flag for Saoirse. I mean, she'll win that Oscar. I don't know when. I hope she doesn't go like the Amy Adams route and get nominated so many times. It feels like it'll never happen. But, uh, you know, she's what, like 23? I can't, I can't believe it's the Glenn Close route. Oh, yeah, Katie. I'm sorry. I'm a- sorry. A- a- Amy did it second. <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor Glenn overshadowed. <sighs> or Net Benning route, maybe. When Saoirse makes her Albert Knobs, maybe that will be her uh, opportunity to shine. So let's close this out with Best Picture. We have been talking about it for weeks and months and still maybe don't know who's actually going to win. I'm curious if anyone feels, like, confident. Like, do you feel like you have got it down and your prediction is going to be right? No. <laughs> Richard? No, I have no idea. Well, you predicted I mean, Greatest I, Showman, I don't think which the post is, is going to win. <laughs> yeah. Do we all have? Well, my question is: Do we all have different predictions? Because we might. Uh, Mike, we I might. think you tipped your hand earlier. It sounded like you were going with Get Out. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I really don't know exactly why. Um, <laughs> Was it because Anna is like so into it? Like the LA, our LA office has me half convinced about. Yeah, that. our LA office, but and by the way, they are closer to Academy Ground Zero, and they talk to a lot of Academy members. They say that that there, you know, Rebecca Keegan mentioned this on a previous episode that there is a lot of enthusiasm for Get Out. Um, Anna Raya, our our uh, executive awards editor, had said similar things that there's a lot of people pushing for Get Out. I think that the three billboards' uh, lack of a director nomination is says something. I think that um, The Shape of Water, despite definitely going to win director, does not have massive over-enthusiasm. I think Lady Bird, similarly, Dunkirk, similarly. And when I start to look at the things at the bottom, per Daniel Joyeux's, you know, how to actually think about preferential balloting, I think that The Darkest Hour is maybe, you know, maybe those votes end up going to Dunkirk or Three Billboards. But then I think the post votes could easily go to Get Out because it's sort of like an inspirational. Um, uh, in other words, just to quickly explain for our viewers, our listeners, in case they don't recall, when when a film gets eliminated as a first place possibility, as a winner possibility, the second place votes are then become first place votes for those films. So if I voted for um, the post as number one and get out number two, then all my num- my number two vote becomes a number one vote for get out. Assuming that the post would get lower votes, which it will. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the post, Phantom Thread, Call Me By Your Name, those next three movies, if they, if they get eliminated, they start to feel like, to me, movies where get out is number two. 
So I, I don't know that. And, and then I think Get Out will have a lot of number one votes because I do think there are a lot of people who really, really want it. And a lot of people who might otherwise have voted for Lady Bird are basically kind, not splitting, intentionally not splitting and going like, this is the one that has a chance. That's that's my assessment of it. But what the hell do I know? That Lady Bird point is really interesting. And I feel like if I were an Academy voter, which I'm not and probably not a useful exercise, but I think I would do the, exactly what you're saying, Mike, is I love Lady Bird. It's my favorite movie, but I think I would probably give my vote to Get Out because it feels like it's got a chance at this point, which I think even a few weeks ago, it like didn't feel this confident. I'm not, I'm not sure where this get out resurgence has come from other than just universal spending a lot of money on it. But that feels really possible if there are enough voters thinking like we are. Um, and with that kind of introduction, I would like to announce that I am still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, is this strictly going with your heart or do you feel like there's some, uh, some possibility there? Um, I could concoct some sort of reason why it's a smart move, but I don't think it is a smart move. Uh, it's just, you know, like what, like if you're not going to root for the film you loved the most to win best picture, you know, what are you even here for? Uh, Richard, what are what are you going with? I'm just kind of marveling. It, it it's amazing. I don't like fall prey to like more con men in my life because like what Mike just said. I'm like I'm convinced. Like and I was <laughs> and I was convinced when Daniel came on the podcast and said it was going to be Dunkirk. And you know I just like I'm like yes okay. I and I think that's reflective of this year where it's like it's been so up in the air. Um, but no, I think Mike makes a compelling point about what the lower voted movies, what the number twos would be, which as you know we've talked about. The theory is that's how Moonlight won last year. Um, uh, I think that's pretty compelling. It's between Dunkirk and Get Out. I, I can't even make a prediction right now. I know that's like cheating. <laughs> uh, I actually am going with Get Out too. So, Joanna, I'm sorry that we've left you on Ladybird Island. But, like, nobody's going for Shape of Water, which is the, like, <sighs> favorite. Or, yeah, it, I know. What's happening to us? We're, I don't we know. might be overthinking. Well, but there's a but there's a recent history of of director and picture splitting, and I think yeah. that's because of the preferential ballot thing. And yeah. I think that Del Toro um, is going to win. So, and I literally have met one person who's like, "Oh my god, I love Shape of Water." Yeah, I, you know, it's just it. That's what seems to be lacking. Is clearly there are people who are very enthusiastic about it, but it's it doesn't seem to have that sort of like booming enthusiasm. Well, this is really exciting. I like. I expected us all to be like Shape of Water, Three Billboards, and me to be like, "Here's my weird pick, Lady Bird." But you guys are. I love the good, the Get Out enthusiasm. I will stay on Lady Bird Island, but I'm really excited about our probably terrible predictions here. <laughs> I have become really convinced that Three Billboards will not win. I think thinking a lot about the preferential ballot in the last few weeks has persuaded me that it's too divisive to get there. And that's a really interesting thing to think of going forward and to think about how La La Land did that. But uh, I don't know. I, mean, I guess if it wins, then we all we have to rethink our wisdom all over again, which is what we did after, La, after um, Moonlight won. So who knows? So that does it for our Oscar predictions. Uh, please take this advice as you will. If you lose a lot of money, do not blame us. We probably have too. Um, we'll be back with an episode airing r- on Monday, right after the Oscars. We'll be catching up on everything that happened. Uh, and so you can tune in to catch up with us after we've survived uh, what is hopefully going to be another exciting award show, though maybe not as exciting as last year when it was a little terrifying at the end of there. Hopefully all the envelopes go where they belong. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us at VanityFair.com. Lots and lots and lots of Oscar coverage. Mike, do you want to uh, plug the uh, live stream one more time? Yeah, please come to VF.com and all of our social channels, Instagram, uh, 
Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, uh, all throughout Oscar day and night and early morning. Uh, and then as soon as the Oscars end uh, on VF.com and on Twitter, I will be co-hosting a 90-minute show from the Vanity Fair Oscar party red carpet with Kat Sadler. Uh, she is going to teach me how to uh, behave in front of a camera and we're going to interview a lot of people have some really interesting conversations hopefully someone will totally screw up an award and we'll be able to talk about that and uh, so I'm, I'm really excited so would love it if the little gold men faithful would uh, would support us through this because I'm going to probably die in the middle of it yeah and if Mike doesn't come for our post Oscars episodes because he's signed a deal to replace Ryan Seacrest on E going forward so uh, <laughs> congratulations in advance <laughs> Um, anyway, keep tuning in us at Little Gold Men. Follow us all on Twitter. I think you all know where to find us all on our own. Uh, and uh, we'll talk to you after the Oscars. This episode was edited and produced by Danielle Roth. And this week's award for the best description of what it feels like to try to predict best picture this year goes to Mike Hogan. But ultimately, like, we're herd animals and we're scared. Know that fizzy feeling you get when you read something really good, watch the movie everyone's been talking about, or catch the show the internet can't get over? At the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we chase that feeling five times a week. We talk about the buzziest movies, TV, music, books, and more. From lowbrow to highbrow to in-between, catch the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.